Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 168 for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. My name is Joel Duggan and joining me as always is Johnny, who you may know better as Pixel Riffs. Hello, sir. Hello, and we have had a rousing conversation about the weather, but also about Lego. And if you're interested in either of those things, and you should be if you live in Canada, because apparently the weather is going to get a little bit rough over the next little while, you can listen to The Render Distance. That is the extended version of The Spawn Chunks, which uh, you can get by subscribing to our Patreon. Patreon.com slash The Spawn Chunks will get you a listen to the extended conversation and hopefully tide you through the oncoming storm. So what have you been up to in Minecraft this past week? Actually, very little in Minecraft itself, or it's been like bursts of activity. Uh, I've been working on the Episode Zero stuff for Survival Guide first and foremost, and I haven't really been able to hop into Empires or anything because of that. I have more been uh, kind of collecting odds and ends of footage for the Glossary of Terms video and for the video about you know video settings and accessibility settings because it's not enough to just talk about this stuff. I wanted to make sure there was visual representation for all of it. And so when I talk about here is a chunk, it's a 16 by 16 area of the world. It's much easier to create a void world and, you know, just build out a chunk of grass and kind of maybe do a dotted line around it. Like I used to do for my one chunk tutorials, just to show this in isolation is a chunk of terrain rather than go into a world and tell people there's an invisible 16 by 16 area of the ground here, maybe enable chunk borders so all of these grid lines appear on the screen, and then try and explain it that way. So I've been breaking apart a lot of the Minecraft world into the different things that I want to say about it, and that's been the majority of my week. Outside of that, a couple of competitive things, both on the playing side and on the commentary side. Uh, the first of which was Twitch Rivals Minecraft 2 finale event, where they combined the North American side and the EU player side of the two tournaments that they held last week, and or, or the week before last, I suppose. And then, yeah, last week they ended up combining players from the winning teams of both of those into uh, another you know, live draft event where they would pick teams on the fly and do a PvP tournament after that. So I was back on commentary for that one, uh, had an absolute blast as usual. Uh, yeah, super fun watching everybody run around. And then I got to do a bit of running around myself in November's Clash of the Creators, which was a, a mob hunt. So we're, you know, getting advancements for hunting down any mob in the world. Um, the variants weren't included this time, so it's just one rabbit as opposed to like six different rabbits. Um, and there was a couple of twists this time around. Natural regen was disabled and player deaths deducted a point from our score. Uh, so we ended up tying for first place. Uh, my team, which was me, Silent Whisperer, Bruno Danoy, and Mr. Beardstone, uh, we ended up tying with another team who got their final points kind of at the last second and we both ended up with a score of 112 uh, so we got a joint gold for that one but I'm, I'm pretty pleased with that nice i i've never i always seem to be streaming when the clash of the creators is on so i've mm -hmm. never caught it live yeah yeah it's, it's usually but... the last um sunday of each month this month mm -hmm. obviously being a little bit different because of thanksgiving and because of um uh christmas coming up next month it'll be the same it'll be like a week earlier next month right. but uh yeah it's it's been fun they, they've always been good when i can participate in them and the they have a twitch extension that can show you the progress that each team has been making and it's it's very smart all of the stuff that goes into it behind the scenes so you can watch one perspective but still get an idea of how all of the other teams are doing nice 
That's really cool. How about you? So what's, for me, uh, what's your what, what week been? So I really spent most of the time uh, inside, uh, which is both um, true physically in the real world and also true in Minecraft. Mm -hmm. uh, the builds that I've been working on in the um, Southgate Road, as I've been calling it the last few weeks, uh, have all um, needed to be decorated on the inside. I try not to leave too many stones unturned. I don't go crazy with a lot of this stuff, but sometimes when they're like right at street level, if someone poke, pokes their head in the door, I kind of want it to look good uh and so uh i also was reminded by chat uh, that uh candles are a thing and mm -hmm. i should probably use them in a medieval build uh mostly i have to confess that i have been on auto lantern mode because of mobs uh and but now with uh 118 so close i have to think like you know it could be really cool to have like candles and stuff to help make this look like a dimly lit you know town at night yeah, and have yeah. it not be a giant mob farm um, I had to do a resource run early in the stream on s Sunday and flying back into town, I decided like, oh, hey, I've not walked through the town at night. Let's land and walk in through the main gate. Well, I got a boat, you know, within five meters of the ground and said, nope, because <laughs> there was everywhere outside the town in the road. There was just mobs everywhere. Like mm -hmm. I saw four creepers. I saw three skeletons and I was just like, no, I'm, I'm gone. Um, and um, all of this interior building uh was a bit frustrating because i got blown up by a creeper twice on stream mm. including one death which thankfully was just the bed was 20 meters away like it's not it was a big deal but uh really was feeling that frustration of i just finished this thing i just finished putting the the sign details on the outside of the of the shed and a creeper blew up and because a lot of what i was doing was um low blast pieces like it just dismantled everything. Yeah, just yeah. Like I, to the point where like I was kind of building off the cuff. I didn't have a plan. So like I don't remember what it looked like. Like I liked it. But when I rebuilt some of it, I was like, I don't think the barrel was there. I don't remember where it was. It looks different. Like I, I can go back and look at the at the stream and figure it out. But it's just like like live on the stream. It's like, come on, man. Yeah. So I, I'm really looking forward to the lighting changes in 118 because I think it's going to make this happen a lot less for us builders that like to make things look a little bit uh, dimmer and a little bit more realistic. Um, but other than that, it's just it's been fun to kind of like put just little dabs here and there. Uh, I really enjoy the data pack from Chuck Chuck. The tables and chairs just kind of add that extra little finish to things. It still looks like vanilla. Um, same with the um, the data pack from Vanilla Tweaks. That is like the the, the block, the mini blocks. Yeah, I was, was going to say you've got a barrel and a uh, well, looks like a beehive, beehive in there. Yeah, yeah. There's the their player head size mini blocks. So just the kind of thing that you can you know pop on a shelf or a table or something like that and it it adds a little bit more life to the scene in the same way that the tables and chairs data pack does which just it, just gives it yeah. that dash of realism that you kind of need in a, a small build like this and those mini blocks you can put slightly askew right like you mm -hmm. can have them at a slight angle just like a mob head yeah uh, and having stuff like that i think is is done well uh i'm curious to see what's going to happen with uh with some of the changes we're going to talk about in the news but uh, the other thing that I did was I added another small warehouse and I really enjoy these buildings that uh, start at one level, uh, like say river level, but then go up a floor inside and mm -hmm. the next exit is on street level in yeah. the town. I don't know what it is about that kind of building that just makes this feel very planned, even though it is absolutely crimes <laughs> of opportunity. Yeah. Like I did not plan for this uh 
street to happen to be exactly three blocks above sea level mm -hmm. and so it just works out perfectly that it looks like two minecraft floors right not 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 something i pre-thought <laughs> yeah it's just luck um but i really like this little warehouse i like the half windows that i managed to squeak in at the top that are uh oak trap doors covered by slabs mm -hmm. so that there's only half of them showing uh of course they the full um, trap door shows on the inside but the the light only comes in from from the two small ones uh, that's not done. That building is still very much in process. That's the one that got blown up at the end of the stream. Mm -hmm. And um, so the inside is just empty. Uh, but I managed to get in some like deep slate and tough and basalt. And I'm still struggling with how to um, separate the darker bottom foundation from the lighter part of the building. So I need to have some sort of horizontal geometric thing, whether it's a sign or I need something to kind of like draw a line across the the bottom of it and uh, we'll have to see what's going on i know i have access to walls with deep slate but not with basalt so i might try and do some sort of like recess where like there's a there's a physical geometric shift from the top to the bottom of the build uh i'm not really sure but either way i, I it all came together quite quickly you know the with the buildings finished putting the interiors together like i finished the two interiors in at least the first part of the stream and then went on to do the the warehouse on the second so like it it's nice when things like that come together so quickly yeah yeah and i, I do think it's something you can learn from immensely when it comes to stuff like these happy accidents you're talking about where the second story of the house manages to match up with the road level and you say that's kind of unintentional now but if you ever do a project like this again that's the mm -hmm. kind of stuff that you can remember that previous experience and start to plan for and i think gathering just little tips for yourself like that ends up being so valuable over the course of you know building more stuff in minecraft later i can definitely throw together a simple roof and have it look pretty good mm -hmm. like in no in no time now uh and 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 definitely uh roll my eyes when i realize that a build like this warehouse is an even number of blocks <laughs> yeah. wide as yeah, opposed yeah. to odd i much prefer roof peaks in minecraft to be a single block peak because the double even once in a while they look cool if it's a warehouse but man does it ever look chonky on the end like the gables yeah. really look fat i find and it's not my favorite not the, my favorite um, look the trick i learned and i think i probably learned it from flip like i learned half of my building tips now <laughs> um is is to split up the even-ended houses so that one half of it juts out one block further than the other because then it still comes to a peak of one block in terms of like you're looking at it in a 3d way instead of as a flat wall and so it still kind of looks um, like it comes to a peak in a way it's 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 odd and it only works in certain build styles but i think it's it's actually quite a neat thing i did that with a couple of the houses in founders forge on the original survival guide world and that turned out better for me than even numbered builds have before so uh, it could be worth trying if not for yourself then anybody listening who's looking to pick up some building tips from uh, joel's progress here so to be clear on that, it's like you drew a line down the middle of the build lengthwise and then like pushed half of it back by a block. Yeah. Like that's you, what you mean. Yeah. You're effectively like if your if your build is six blocks wide, you kind of put it on a very shallow diagonal where it's three blocks and then it comes yeah. out and then three yeah. blocks again. Basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do that all the time in the other direction, which is a tip again I picked up from Whip, where it's not the angle the house is not in a true angle the the gables are perfectly square but then you've got sections of three or five or seven mm -hmm. that then slowly travel at an angle to and to make it look less just 
on a grid you know yeah yeah and and i think that's that's a good thing to do for the the ends of houses as well if you're sick of seeing an even numbered build where the 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 middle line of the house is just two blocks wide and it's and that's two meters in the in the 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 minecraft dimensions that we are used to so it just it feels like inordinately large it looks like you built a barrel instead of a roof but uh yeah i think this is all looking great man i'm i'm looking forward to seeing more of the the progress on it and the interiors in particular are kind of uh priming me for building li- little kind of cozy houses and stuff when i start building small in uh, survival guide again thanks man i appreciate that let's get into the news because uh boy do we have some news this week <laughs> Yes, indeed. The Caves and Cliffs Part 2 has a release date. Uh, It is confirmed that November 30th is that date. That is when Minecraft 118 will be available for folks to download. That's next Tuesday, as of this recording. To quote the Minecraft.net article, you may have noticed that a few items were missing from the list of the new stuff, namely archaeology, bundles, and goat horns. These features have been put on hold. They have not been cancelled. We have just put them on the back burner for now while they won't be in the wild update we're going to come they're going to come to minecraft in the future and when we're able to put them in the best way possible minecraft 118 pre-release 2 and also 3 and 4 and 5 uh, all came out in the last week pre-release 2 was published on november 16th and the changes in that included that they are now using java version 17. bug fixes in pre-2 Floating water and lava above caves. Floating water generates around ravines. Large dripstone structures can be generated outside of the caves. Goats on fire do not attempt to pathfind towards water. (laughs) I didn't pre-read this. That's hilarious. (laughs) I'm sorry. Uh, Duplicated mine shafts with the new cave generation and lots of spelling and grammar corrections for the end credits. Changes in Minecraft 118 Pre 3 including starting server.jar with an empty bundler main class will now just validate and extract files and then exit. Bug fixes in pre-3. Lava blocks from lava aquifers don't get updated when a cave cuts through underneath them. Lava pockets generate in icebergs and generated deep slate overwrites or veins, mainly occurring with iron ore veins. Also, various uh, crash fixes. There are a few more bug fixes coming through in Pre-4 and Pre-5. In Pre-4, there were just three crash fixes when going through nether portals or creating a single biome world with nether biomes. The same was apparently happening with end portals and end biomes. And then upgrading super flat worlds from 1.17.1 was also causing some crashes and freezes as well. Pre-4 came very quickly after Pre-3, so they just clearly had a couple of crash fixes that they needed to iron out there. In 1.18 Pre-5, they introduced a new change to the way bedrock generates in worlds that are being converted. And if there is any bedrock at height zero in a chunk, new world generation happens under any non-air block at height zero in that chunk. But if you've taken out the bedrock blocks and there is currently just an empty hole to the void in your world, then no terrain will currently generate underneath that when you upgrade the world at all. Uh, Bug fixes in 1.18 Pre-5 include lots of minor texture changes, things like the undersides of parrots' wings being a slightly different colour than they should be, that kind of thing. 
There are also uh, too many sounds causing the clients to stall, the limit of which could easily be reached with rabbits. That one has been fixed. Cave vines can sometimes generate hanging on cobwebs. Azalea trees could generate on top of huge mushrooms, trees, and bamboo. We also saw them generating occasionally on icebergs. And a few fixes for chunk blending, which were still occasionally producing sharp chunk border edges. Those and a lot more bug fixes can all be read in the uh, Minecraft.net article that is titled pre-release 2, but also has the release notes for 3, 4, and 5 as well. Uh, last but not least, Minecraft Dungeons Cloudy Climb is launching on December 14th, 2021. So once we've all had a week or so to play Minecraft Caves and Cliffs, Minecraft Dungeons is getting itself an update as well. This is the first season adventure for Minecraft Dungeons, and it's going to be available for free to all players on December 14th. Cloudy Climb is introducing new free content that includes an all-new progression system, weekly challenges, and a looming tower that loves to rearrange itself. You will earn adventure points, which allow you to unlock seasonal rewards like pets, capes, flares, and emotes, basically cosmetic rewards on a battle pass kind of track, and that's called the Adventure Pass. If you purchase that, you can earn additional cosmetic rewards, but there will be a free track for people who don't want to throw some extra money in the Minecraft Dungeons team's direction. Uh, and that is Cloudy Climb once again coming December 14th, 2021. I have a friend that is interested in getting into Minecraft Dungeons and uh, they're going to be playing on Switch. And because of the new cross play that was, well, not new, it's last year, but mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's going to be fun because I'm now starting to see that opportunity where like they're on a completely different platform. I could play on a PC or an Xbox uh, potentially because they're local, even have them over and show them the game and have them play as a guest on the Xbox before actually purchasing it, you know, on their own. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, via, you know, re, you know, uh, multiplayer crossplay, we could, you know, hang out during the pandemic safely at each other's house and and play together. And I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun to introduce someone into the game. I'm not so steeped in it that I'm still not going to be like, there's going to be surprises for me going around different corners and stuff. And obviously cloudy climb will be new for both of us uh, if we decide to check that out. So it's going to be cool. I think it's going to be fun to, um, to mess around with that, especially with the holidays coming when there's going to be some downtime. Yeah. Yeah. I believe uh, some of the stuff from the adventure pass might also apply to the older levels and stuff as well. So if you've bought the DLC, there will be some sort of added value there. Uh, but even if you haven't, if you just own the base game, you're getting an area that expands that and you're also potentially going to be earning those rewards as you earn like experience basically from playing the older levels. So it's not just interacting with the new content that earns you the the fun rewards and and the cool stuff but uh, yeah definitely a good time to get into minecraft dungeons i don't know how much time i'm going to have for it considering caves and cliffs is going to be my main focus but maybe on or off stream maybe if i just need to unwind a little bit i might end up playing a little bit of uh, of cloudy climb in the meantime yeah we are now only one week away a week and a day basically from the full release of caves and cliffs part two we'll be able to obviously squeeze one more podcast in on november 29th before caves and cliffs part two releases on the 30th and i i feel like my mood and this is the mood of several other folks i've talked to who do similar stuff to me uh is excited but incredibly stressed out at the same time because <laughs> there's so much stuff in terms of youtube content and planning for what's next and stuff that we have to figure out so it's it's a fun time and i'm really looking forward to getting stuck into the new terrain and everything but oh boy is it coming up all all of a sudden even though we kind of saw this coming from the pre-releases and stuff being announced uh last week
I will confess that I am not looking forward to the potential technical hurdles presenting, you know, on the Citadel with updating to Caves and Cliffs Part 2. Mm -hmm. uh, both from a gameplay, hopefully there's no frame setters for me perspective, but also making sure that, you know, I go over all the places in the overworld that have got, you know, players time in it and, and make sure that uh, I trim the chunks accordingly. Hopefully um, I'll end up with pretty world blending as opposed to, you know, angular um, chunky world blending. I'm going to have to do some tests. Like I'm going to have to try something, then go to areas that I anticipate being a problem and seeing what they look like. And uh, I don't recall there being a big problem with going from uh, the nether update to caves and cliffs part one, but I do recall the nether update being something that took me a couple of days because I was trying to trim chunks of the nether. I was trying to make it look good and avoid like really harsh transitions. Uh, that actually um, has me wondering, do we know if the the world blending in this kind of technology applies to the nether as well? Because uh, I don't know. I don't think so, but I think the nether and the end haven't really been touched in terms of what your seed will generate. As far as I'm aware, it's not going to radically overhaul where things would be in the nether. It's really just the overworld that has changed. Right. The reason I ask is because if you're trimming chunks in the overworld and you also decided to trim chunks in the nether, I don't know why you would, but maybe some people are just like, well, I'm sick of, you know, traveling forever to find a crimson forest. Maybe I want to just reset, you know, parts of the nether. And I just don't know if you did that, whether the new chunk blending would, would apply. Um, but the, um, I'd imagine not. But uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm curious and crossing my fingers that it's a smoother transition than i'm anticipating uh, i know a lot of people in my circles are are resetting like like you you know going into the sur survival yeah. guide uh, season two you're just going to have a fresh new world and you're not going to really have to worry about any of that kind of stuff and I, I after four years on the citadel like it's not even tempting it's more like that heavy sigh of the grass being greener on the other side of the fence mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah like uh, i can't do that but that looks easy <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no i i do think it's going to be relatively straightforward it's just a matter of personal preference really when it comes to how mm. close you want this terrain to be how much of the world you feel like is redundant in terms of having been loaded to look for resources or woodland mansions or whatever and what you need to trim out of that but i do think in terms of the chunk blending they've done a spectacular job really and I've seen a couple of videos on this subject and I was tempted to do one myself if I had the time of trying to kind of stump the chunk blending thing and see, you know, what circumstances it would generate something that was noticeable. And I, I think a lot of people have been pleasantly surprised by how well it behaves in circumstances where it's up upgrading old worlds. A lot of the... Um, the bug fixes that we've seen, the ones that we skipped over because there were a lot of very kind of individual fringe cases, are from old, old worlds. Where It's like if you're updating from InfDev worlds, which were created 10 years ago, up into 1.18. And sometimes if you're, if, if you're updating those directly from that version to 1.18, as though you've never left the pre-alpha worlds of Minecraft. So I expect for some people... It will be, you know, in a long-term world, there will be noticeable chunk borders from previous updates that are put to shame by what they've done in 1.18. And at least that is my hope. And 
I haven't really noticed anybody kind of calling them out and saying like, hey, this really looks obvious, which is a good mm. sign because the community yeah. is usually very vocal about stuff like that and very protective about their old worlds to begin with. Something we didn't mention in the news, but I did catch from watching a friend of the show, Exumavoid's video about some of the pre-releases is that there's a texture update to a few things, including the stripped dark oak log, yeah. which I was not anticipating. Uh, and I didn't even realize that it was that much darker in Bedrock than it is in Java. And uh, I know uh, someone in our, our Discord tagged me and asked me what my thoughts were on it. And I, I specifically thought, I, I'm going to wait until the yeah. show <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to yeah. talk about that. Uh, because I'm not sure. Uh, seeing it next to one, uh, one another on, you know, on screen, you're like, okay, it's darker. But without context, without it being in a build, I don't know yet. Yeah. Uh, I don't anticipating it it being a big problem because it's not like it's a drastic change. It's just going to be uh, quite a bit darker. Um, right now, it does blend very nicely with Spruce, and I've been using it that way across most of the town that I've been building for the last year. So there's some concern that it might change a lot. Uh, but at the same time, like if it really bothers me, I have other blocks in Minecraft. I can try to swap out something. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, uh, I also have a frustration with dark oak roofs where I don't have enough blocks to work in to, to make a texture change. Everything just seems much lighter. Spruce looks too light. Stripped dark oak looks too light. So a darker stripped dark oak block might actually be able to be worked into a dark oak roof and have it not look so out of place. But I have not had a chance to play around with it in, in game yet. So I'm sure it's probably a, a change that will just over time feel like normal um i'm surprised they're different yeah in, in the meantime if you're not like too like worried about this you could always just put a texture pack in right like there's these are, these are the kind of things that yes they mojang can update textures occasionally and the majority of people will just deal with it because they're used to playing in default but if you have really particular ideas about the color that dark oak was before and it was matched with some things which are then you know they, they don't look as good to you then it's just a matter of a fairly simple resource pack to change it back. Yeah, I do I do try to avoid stuff like that unless it's something that's really really off. Yeah. You know, like I think I think the hay block is a good a good example. Like it it's very green, you know, to me. Uh and it doesn't seem to work well with anything else. But then the more hay colored one that I have, I find works a, a lot better. Mm -hmm. I haven't looked at the big builds that I used a lot of hay blocks in. <laughs> Mm -hmm. with the vanilla texture pack i don't know how bad they look um but i don't think that like if you saw the two screenshots side by side of the build with and without the dark oak change i don't think it would be quite as noticeable mm -hmm. in in my thoughts but i don't know we'll see i've used it a fair bit so we'll we'll have to see if i have to go around and change some stuff but uh i i'm really looking forward to the lighting changes as i mentioned earlier yeah uh, i think that's going to be leaps and bounds i think the creativity you're going to see the ability to have a dimly lit street and not be worried about it being totally spawn proof i mm -hmm. think is going to be awesome uh i think uh also some of the things that people are going to achieve like i'm right now i've got this medieval mindset but like when you think about like futuristic builds and lights behind glass and like all that kind of stuff uh people are going to be able to do things like that without the need to put slabs everywhere yeah you know to make sure things are spawn proof so like so then your block choices for builds opens up dramatically yeah definitely and and i think that's that's going to be almost as like it's going to be as important as 
like moss was in 1.17 allowing you to mm-hmm. have a a greener biome color in biomes that don't normally allow for that and it's funny looking at the wish lists of long-term minecraft players and it's all stuff like this <laughs> it's all just minor things that feel like a quality of life change but allow for much greater creativity and I, I find that those are my answers a lot of the time when somebody asks me, what do I want in Minecraft? And they're expecting an answer like, I'd like a really big boss mob that I can fight. And I'm like, no, just let me put candles down and have that make spawn proof like areas around there. Like that, I think I think so much stuff like that is going to be very interesting to see how it changes the game in the near future. Um, looking at the other stuff in these articles, it's nice to finally have a Minecraft.net announcement clarifying the status of archaeology bundles and the goat horn i mean i i barely want to include archaeology in here because that was called out in the caves and cliffs split announcement like lady agnes talked to the camera about why archaeology wasn't included but then bundles and the goat horn have been a bit more nebulous and um i think the most recent and most official confirmation we've had was um a couple of the devs being on a stream with cub fan during minecraft live mentioning that the goat horn and bundles had been delayed and now we know that they're not coming out until after the wild update at the earliest and the idea is once again to hold them back until they can be implemented as as well and as holistically as possible um so that's obviously good to know it's disappointing from the perspective of folks like us i I really like bundles um but i do think it's it's good that they've at least outlined that for the community so that I, I have some place to direct people who keep asking me where where is the goat horn and what does it do? Uh, the answer yeah. is it is in the far future and we don't know. Um, have, was it at any point in Bedrock? It was in Bedrock. I don't think it was in Java. I no. think I think at first the the goat horn was because goats were added to Bedrock Edition first, and it was an item that they dropped if they rammed into trees, and that was sort of you know tested early and then i think the goat's functionality of ramming into trees was dropped just so that their other behavior was a bit more consistent and then the goat horn was moved to creative and all you did was blow into it and it made a noise like a pillager raid horn and that was the only shot at like actually having a usable goat horn or the goat horn having any relevance to survival um but yeah we we don't know when that's going to come but we also know now if it's not going to come until after the wild update, then presumably people who are speculating about it being something you could use to distract or even deafen the warden when it's listening out for you, I mean, that's still a possibility for the far future, but it's not going to be a tactic players can use right away. Uh, so so interesting to, to know that that has been delayed for a little while and that wasn't the primary thing the goat horn was being added to the game for in the first place. I mean, I've said it before in the podcast. I'm all for features being delayed until they're ready. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, like I, I really, I think that when stuff like that has mixed reviews or it's obviously some, obviously something that takes a lot of work behind the scenes to try to get it to work right. And when the resounding response from the player base is kind of meh, then you, it's nice that they're taking it back to the drawing board, I think, with bundles specifically. Uh, and trying to figure things out because I know that there's definitely an inventory crunch for me. Like I, I am constantly going back to my shulker box island and just like emptying everything and just kind of having a sigh of relief and saying, okay, <laughs> what do I actually need? You know, and why, like, how can I, you know, make this function a little bit better? And um, I'm sure with um, with Caves and Cliffs Part 2, with the adventuring and the digging and all that kind of stuff, 
that there's there's something that's going to be uh i don't know what to say needed but like for people that found them useful like yourself i imagine they're going to be missed uh i wonder with the caves and not caves and cliffs with the wild update and the allay if that's when that comes out then i wonder if that is part of a inventory bundle solution you know like because the the la if it was traveling behind you picking up stuff is essentially doing what a bundle would be doing right more or less yeah i mean it's it's picking up one type of item instead of being able to carry a huge variety but it's it's mm. kind of a a similar kind of thing right it's got a stack's worth of inventory there and yeah th there's there's different solutions cropping up for a lot of different inventory problems or or different inventory scenarios so i think yeah potentially the bundle is just going to be one part of that that we'll maybe see further down the line um as far as the pre-releases go though i've dipped in and out of them again recording stuff for survival guide and everything has largely gone pretty well so far i've not noticed any major issues no rendering problems no major crashes after pre-release one um, it has been very fun to follow Henrik's vendetta against lava sources forming in frozen oceans. <laughs> I've, I've been, <laughs> been noticing this on Twitter every so often and he's got like, you know, angry paint drawings over a screenshot of like a lava source coming out the side of an iceberg and just being like, no, bad, like stop this. And I, I think they finally nailed it in the most recent pre-release or maybe the one before. Um, and yeah, like the there are some harmless but odd behaviors that are being fixed now, like azalea trees generating on top of other trees, um, yeah, and, and in icebergs and that kind of thing that I think are, you know, would be kind of just Minecraft being quirky if they were left in the game, but in terms of consistency and how we can expect to see azalea trees generating in the wild, it's it's nice to see that stuff getting ironed out. And those do seem like the very last few changes that they would consider themselves needing to make before a full release and before terrain generation is as we expect it to be from now on. So yeah, I, I think I think it's good to see the pre-releases getting down to the the very fine detail of, of bug fixes before a, a full release comes in. Do you think we're going to get a release candidate this week? I mean, I expect so. If they're planning on releasing next Tuesday, then the latest we'll see a release candidate will be Monday, and that doesn't give them much time to change anything if there are crash fixes. But uh, yeah, I'd expect, you know, if not midweek, then maybe kind of Thursday or Friday we might see a release candidate. And then next Tuesday, wow, that's that's really very, very soon. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's coming up really fast. For me, I think I might take advantage of one of the release candidates and attempt to do some chunk trimming and just kind of see how it looks. I won't yeah. do the whole world, but maybe like focus on what I think is going to be the most challenging area or an area where I am building constantly, like the medieval zone, uh, and try and, and figure out what that's going to look like. Uh, and hopefully not have something like replace an ocean or or drastically have, you know, weird biome borders. So we'll, we'll see how it's going to go because I know that uh, whenever I have loaded up a snapshot uh, in the last you know couple months just for like screenshots for title cards for the show, uh, I often use the Citadel C just for fun. And boy, did we spawn in a different location. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like yeah. spawn is a mesa yeah. <laughs> instead of a instead of a meadows mm -hmm. uh, in in a in a in the the new the new generation. So I'm hoping it's not going to be too too harsh, but we'll see. Uh, at the same time, it's also pretty exciting because I feel like some of our members on the server are getting a little bit itchy and wanting to kind of go far afield, maybe with clean slate, you know, go somewhere as far enough that, you know, nothing has been touched. You're not stepping on anybody else's toes and kind of see what's happening. I know I'm looking forward to trying to do something, you know, on a mountain or, or the side of a mountain or try to find some more um, inspirational locations. 
yeah. because I do find that right now my my brain is kind of drawing a blank outside of currently continuing to work on the project I have going when it comes to new ideas I'm just like I got no nothing I'm not sure what I want to do mm-hmm. yeah I, I'm looking forward to finding mountain locations and even valleys like I found a couple of really cool mountains that have strong valleys between them that I think could make for really interesting build projects. You can have, you know, castles on the hilltops and that kind of thing. But again, I'm I'm just going to roll with whatever the terrain gives me and do a lot of exploring later in the survival guide world and just kind of see what what pops up. But there's a lot of inspiring terrain out there, so there will be a lot of a lot of builds that I expect will suggest themselves once we can take a look at that in closer detail. What do you say we move on to some chunk mail? Let's do that. Um, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And our first emails are actually kind of linked together. So shall I just read these two back to back and then you take the, the third one that we have a bit later? Yeah, sounds like a plan. All right, uh, this first one comes in from Caitlin O, and the subject is more independent pets. Hi, as I listened to your most recent discussion of the LA and the other mobs from the 2021 mob vote, I was reminded of how much I wish pets in Minecraft could act independently around your base. It's always disappointing to tame a wolf, a cat, or a bird, only for them to end up sitting in your house forever or you risk losing them. My current solution is to trap and name tag untamed animals and pretend they're tame, but I find myself wishing there was a third setting of roam between sit and follow. With roam, they could pathfind around without automatically following you or teleporting to you. Imagine coming home from a mining expedition and your cat wanders over to say hi. I think it would add more life to the background of the game with what seems like a simple addition. Would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you so much. Caitlin cries as her fifth cat drowns under the dock. That's tragic and I entirely agree. Um, so the second email on the similar subject came in from Ori L and the subject was Minecraft Pets Hello Pix and Joel, as a beginner in the Minecraft community and an animal lover, I was amazed when I found out that taming animals was a feature, but as I kept playing I noticed there isn't much benefit or any sense of progression to this otherwise cool idea. Having tamed an animal can sometimes be more of a nuisance than an enjoyment. What if, once you tamed an animal, it was more dependent on their owner? You would have them be a, you would be able to feed them or, or let them drink and they would need space to walk around and, and play. Without these things, your pet might run away or, sadly, die. What if different pets could also learn different skills? These skills could range from attacking to fetching. This way, pets could help you and it would add a sense of progression. Would love your input. Really enjoy the show. Ori got attacked by a well-trained parrot. <laughs> there you go. The cats and the parrots rebelling against the players. So these are actually two different like views is what one is animals should be more independent and the other one is animals should be more dependent um so so which of these appeals to you joel or are there fractions of both that appeal to you i think it's a mix uh i hear uh caitlin on the sit it and forget it mm-hmm. sort of vibe uh because i have a dog uh and a cat and they sit in dartmouth meadows and i see them once in a while when i walk by and that's it uh, and I think that it would be cool to have a little bit more interaction, even if setting an, uh, an animal to sit would not necessarily just park its butt specifically where you have it and have it stay there. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it has a radius of five blocks and it kind of walks around and does whatever, but it doesn't really leave the vicinity. I like that idea. The roaming thought is is very cool, uh, provided it is, doesn't wander all over the place. 
doesn't jump into lakes and get caught under docks like that kind of a thing yeah um because that's how i lost a dog early on too mm -hmm. after taking a very long time to find it because i was new to the game and i had to figure out how to get one and all that kind of stuff and it was very frustrating uh and it really pokes you in the feels surprisingly you don't anticipate it too but it's not a good feeling when the animal that you've brought home is <laughs> no longer with you yeah, uh, yeah in a video game you know like it, you're kind of surprised by that um but speaking of like the tedium of things I feel like manually feeding pets in game is a nope for me, especially if they're going to die otherwise. Yeah. And I don't see Mojang implementing that at all. I, I think something more along the lines of if you want to keep your pet happy, make sure that it's got access to water and access to food. And then maybe if you come home and it hasn't been fed, it's just kind of looking at you with like a little lightning cloud above its head, the same way that <laughs> villagers get mad. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that could be, you know, if the, you know, or if, or if it's got a stern face, like a give it angry eyebrows or something, I think that could be kind of fun. Um, but nothing that really kind of would have you lose the pet. Uh, yeah, I, I, and some of that is like, you know, cats, I believe in the game will bring you presents, like they'll leave items for you. Yeah. And if the cat stopped doing that when it was hungry or angry with you, hasn't been petted in a while, then I could see that being kind of a cool feature. It's not something everybody's going to use, but I'm just never home to look after them. And I don't want that kind of uh, lack of automation. Like, I, you know, one of the things that we, one of the first things we do is try to set up auto farms for things like food and, and stuff that you don't want to have to manually harvest weed all the time. I feel like having to manually feed pets all the time would drive me nuts. Mm -hmm. um, but I understand having to come up with some sort of healthy environment. Because, I mean, M Mojang does a great deal to talk about, like, you know, endangered species. You know, like dolphins, killing dolphins doesn't give you anything. They're meant to be protected. Same with sea turtles. But yet, you there's no dog bowls. There's no, you know, you don't you can feed a dog but you don't necessarily have to and i feel like there is something missing there from the interaction and the solution that i came up with in my head would be um along the lines of say how the villagers interact which forgive me if i'm getting this a little bit wrong or simplified but villagers from what i can tell their behavior is based on time of day and social gatherings but also their workstations mm -hmm. right so what if dogs and cats had the same thing? Like what if there was not necessarily a dog house, but say a dog bowl in the same way that you make a clay pot? You know, what if there was a, a cat scratching post or a cat bed or something that you could specifically make uh, and then the animals would return to them every night? Uh, or the, um, the animals that, uh, that come to mind are things like foxes that have those cute little sleeping positions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like... Even just having a dog sit, and even if it's butt for programming reason, has to stay on that block just because that's the easiest way to do it. Having the dog go through a bunch of different idle animations like playing or sleeping or begging or doing something would be would be really, really cool. Cats are really playful. Like, I mean, what if like when you throw a block to a dolphin, what if you threw a block to a cat and it kind of sat on its back and kind of played with it like a ball of yarn? Mm -hmm. like just little things like that could add life to the pets and not add tedium to the player's gameplay loop. You yeah, know? I, I really like the concept of it being more like villager behavior. I think that's probably the best, the, the happy medium. And mm -hmm. yeah, I, I definitely agree that needing to feed pets in case they die or run away or something is a scenario for disaster for younger players who 
can you know y- younger kids can maybe be taught like this is a pet and you have to look after it and that kind of thing but in a video game it's a sandbox environment they're probably going to experiment a lot of the time with that and they probably don't want their pet dog to die um so i think that that makes a lot of sense and the, the other thing is like for a it's a sandbox game you're probably if you're a, a more experienced player you're going to be leaving home for long periods of time and it seems unrealistic for Minecraft to, you know, get a cat sitter. <laughs> so I, I do think, yeah, the, the idea of neglect of pets in Minecraft is probably not something they want to introduce just for players' general enjoyment of pets as a feature. Um, but I do like the idea of there being more progression to it. And like you were saying about cats bringing you items and them having a little bit more incentive to do that if you're treating them well what if that changes the loot table for cats like if you fed a cat a fish in the last you know 20 minutes of gameplay maybe they bring you more valuable items Uh, and you know if if you don't feed your cat they just they bring you rotten flesh all the time you know they're just effectively dragging the trash in um obviously depends what your priorities are in terms of items but does give you a reason to interact with them that is more than just having a cat arbitrarily because you like cats which is as good a reason as any i suppose but i do think it's it's nice when there's more depth to mechanics than that um as far as dogs go yeah like it it would be it would be nice for them to have a little bit more behavior you know a few more idle animations they can chase their own tails or something and Mm. i i expect that sooner or later because since cats have been update updated and there's different cat variants it's you know been the widely held opinion by people who enjoy the company of dogs that the dogs should get similar treatment and should get a, a variety of breeds and stuff um it, it's entirely possible that some behaviors like that could be added if mojang chooses to to update dogs in future um cats already kind of roam around if you're just around them while you're in one location but they have to be set to follow at that point uh, and then they'll go and sit on a chest or a bed or something like that. Whereas if you sit them, then they'll just stay on on that block. Um, and that can actually be uh, like not harmful, but can be annoying to players because they'll sit on a chest and then you can't open the chest. The game will prevent you from looking in that chest, um, which is when you swap all your storage to barrels and you go, ha! Um, but I, <laughs> I, I do think, um, yeah, stuff like that adds a lot of character to pets. And I I can understand wanting to add a rooming behavior. The problem then becomes one of interacting and how you indicate that roaming behavior has been activated. Because right now, it's a binary choice and it's very easy to illustrate a binary choice in games. It's either follow me or sit there. And that's you're standing up or you're sitting down. But then right-clicking on them again to activate a kind of roaming behavior has to have a signal of its own somehow which changes it from being a two-way switch to being a three-way thing which maybe complicates the visual element of it a little bit more makes it less intuitive so you'd have to find some balancing thing there but i I do kind of agree that if pets are programmed to follow you but you're just kind of hanging out it'd be kind of fun if they uh, they had routines while they are around you I wonder if that's where a homing block would come in to point, right? Like if you sit a dog on any block, it will sit there unless you put it on, call it the dog bed, you know, and then it's going to say, okay, well, I'm going to sit here for a minute, but then I have free reign to go in my specific programming loop and just kind of wander around wherever I can uh, within a certain range and then just kind of do my doggy things. 
And um, I guess that also <laughs> brings to mind, like with all this eating and maintenance, I mean, the other thing about dogs that are in real life is uh, scooping up the poop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't know whether that's something that Mojang wants to add. Although the idea of like cube dog poop is very funny to me. And I know it sounds like I'm 12, but it just <laughs> the, the thought of it is, is very amusing. That's... But I also like the the idea of like having different dog behaviors like um we you know you mentioned that there are different cat models but they all kind of sound the same and act the same it would be nice if there was different dog models instead of just looking like a wolf with a collar on it uh having like a yappy pug you know compared to something larger you know like what that might look like a golden retriever or a a wolfhound or something bigger um i know that becomes challenging with art and assets and size and all that kind of stuff but uh, I mean, look at how cute the Minecraft bees are. You can't tell me that a Minecraft pug is not going to be hilarious. Uh, and if they aggressively, you know, guard against skeletons or just kind of do their own little thing, I just, it would add an awful lot of personality. And I it, I would be more inclined to mess with pets if they were a little bit more fun. Yeah. Um. Going back to the cube poop idea, sorry to bring it up again, Um. but <laughs> it's, it's my favorite fact about wombats that whenever they poop, it's more kind of cuboid in shape. Um, really yeah like if you look it up it's on wikipedia <laughs> wombats have cubic scat and um i feel like if any animal was going to add poop into minecraft it's the wombats so australians where you at uh get wombats into minecraft that's your challenge um <laughs> but yeah no i i think there's there's a lot to be had from pets in future it might be a mechanic they revisit but like we said there are a lot of scenarios in which you can lose a pet if it's more active and that's kind of a little bit heartbreaking for for younger players especially there's a a lot of emotion tied up in it so it's it's open for the devs to change it in future but we'll see our next email comes in from scantily clad there's nothing else that no is comment. actually the full <laughs> username uh mining deep slate is the subject hey johnny and joel i was listening to your chunk mail dispenser episode and you mentioned the marginal benefits of netherite compared to diamond and it got me thinking about the new updates in 117 and 118 would it not make sense for netherite picks to instamine deep slate and other new slower to mine blocks with of course a haste 2 on a beacon I heard there was a bit of a ho-hum from the technical players finding it incredibly difficult to make perimeters because of the blast resistance and mining time of Deep Slate. I think this would make the grind for Netherite worth it for everyone, not just the technical players. I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Regard, scantily clad. You are preaching to the choir here, I think. Um... I mean, I'm, I'm all in favor of having quicker ways to mine resources. Um, the fact that we can instamine things like stone and terracotta and whatnot, but not everything in the game is obviously a source of contention. And yeah, the, the, there are some things that you can instamine in Bedrock Edition, but not Java Edition as well, if we want to go down that rabbit hole. Which leads me to think, I'm not actually sure how time to break is coded because i used to think it was blast resistance but it's not it's actually kind of a separate value behind the scenes and i don't know if it's a set property for each block and each tool's interaction if it can be individually programmed that way or if it is just one static value that applies to each which would probably be more simple from a from a coding perspective but my problem with this is that speeding up the netherite pickaxe speeds it up for every block meaning that it could end up insta mining stone without haste for example like if you made it fast enough that with haste 2 it can insta mine deep slate then potentially you get into it insta mining other materials without the need for a beacon at all and that devalues beacons in the meantime the other option is to reduce the time to break for deep slate but if you do that 
holistically that makes it more breakable by other tools as well and so then there is less need to go the netherite route because it's still breaking relatively fast with a diamond or an iron pickaxe if not insta mining then at least as fast as stone with an enchanted pickaxe does which is significantly faster than mining deep slate is right now um so there's there's a lot of nuance to this that is surprising considering the solution seems relatively simple right yeah i agree i don't have an awful lot to add i, I think if it could be done where if deep slate could be mined faster with netherite and of course a beacon uh but not affecting other blocks i think it's a balance change you know netherite's not easy to come by uh, you have to be choosy about what, what you know, what uh, items you're going to put it on. Um, I think that could even be carried over to maybe netherite axes being able to insta mine wood. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, with again a beacon. Um, I don't mind the additional end game setup for this kind of stuff. I don't think that you know the popcorn mining satisfaction of insta mining stone should be something you can do right away. I like the idea that you have to get to a certain point to do it, and that the wither is the you know a, a bottleneck there. Um, I really wish that um in addition to that the stone cutter would be able to use both deep slate and cobbled deep slate for <laughs> yes. the deep slate family of blocks because very often as i'm going through the deep slate i'm using my everyday pick which is silk touch for a lot of good reasons as a builder but then i get all my deep slate home and realize i have to place it all again and then break it with a fortune or with mm -hmm. a fortune pick in order to do anything with it now i could easily make a data pack just like i have with my uh, my woodcutter data pack that allows me to use logs in the stone cutter much the same that you do stone but i i feel like it's it's also really confusing considering how close the deep slate and cobbled deep slate textures are specifically in your inventory like yes i understand you can see the difference subtle though it is on blocks in the world but in your inventory very often i'll come over to the you know to the um stone cutter with a stack of deep slate throw it in there and go like what's going on why isn't anything happening oh right i have the wrong block very easy mistake to make and i think it lacks some ui clarity in, in the game so adding that ability i think would be would be cool yeah and and to address the other part of this i'm not certain that technical players necessarily find it difficult to make perimeters i think it's just time consuming is is the main problem like i i doubt that the technique the sort of you know tnt duping carpet bomber kind of technique is going to change a great deal for making perimeters in 118 it's just going to take three times as long because you are mining twice as deep and with more blast resistant material but I, I i doubt it's going to be an increase in difficulty it's just more of an inconvenience <laughs> um which you know to some people maybe is the same thing but i i i don't necessarily agree with that part and i think it's more or less a challenge i think for communities to find a way around this like they suggested that you know converting all the blocks to moss and doing the moss mining method is a good way of creating like a relatively small perimeter and then you can automatically compost all of the moss and then have bone meal to spread it again and with a large enough area you can still do that it's a bit more time consuming but it turns all of the deep slate into an insta-minable material so there are options out there it's just options that don't like they don't end up with you getting the deep slate at the end of it um and with things like movable dispensers which is possible in bedrock edition but not in java in theory there might even be ways to automate that process considering moss breaks when it's pushed with a piston and so forth so yeah who knows there, there, there could be in future ways of mining deep slate for a perimeter that don't necessarily involve blowing it up or using a, a faster pickaxe on it but 
uh, we will see. And if time is magically not a bottleneck for you and you're not starting a new 118 world, you can get busy removing the bedrock from the bottom of your 117 (laughs) world Mm -hmm. and then have nothing to worry about when you update. (laughs) That is entirely true. Um, So kind of going back a little bit to what you were saying about Deep Slate and Cobble Deep Slate and the Stonecutter and stuff, I thought um, this week we could do a 117 in review uh, since next week is going to be uh, Caves and Cliffs Part 2 Miss Eve. Um, we may as well spend this week talking about 117 in retrospect and things that we thought could be better, like the the, the Deep Slate uh, Stonecutter, um, or what we had as our highlights on the flip side. Uh, was there anything that surprised us? And is 118 going to turn around our opinions on any of this stuff, considering how some elements are going to be a bit more accessible when New World Generation comes into play? I think that's a big thing for me. Uh, going over what 117 brought us and what I haven't really bothered messing around with much, a lot of it comes down to how easy it is to get. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons, even though I have like a giant copper farm, that if I sat there and AFK'd at it, I could end up with a decent amount of copper in a relatively short amount of time, or at least with not a lot of effort. Uh I think that with copper veins, with the ability to get more of it, uh, because the world is just deeper and there's going to be a lot more access to it, uh, I think that that will probably change. Uh, I also don't have a, a great deal of builds right now, which are calling for some of the new blocks, and that's part of it. It's not that I don't necessarily dislike, the, you know, it's not like I dislike them. It's just that I just haven't had the opportunity, which is a good problem to have, really. Like when you're doing a big project and you're not culling through the entirety of the Minecraft, you know, palette and running out of stuff. It's more like, well, really, I, I can't use some of it because it's that's so diverse that it just doesn't match with what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. But yeah, I don't I don't think that, you know, things like copper for me right now, I don't think that my lack of using it has got anything to do with with anything other than the fact that it's just harder to come by. Um, so the, when those things change, uh, calcite, same thing uh dripstone i think maybe that has been that's not really not going to change much i guess it's going to be easier it's going to be easier to get naturally like yeah. you're not going to have to you i have a I made a dripstone farm i didn't make a big big one uh and those that did they ended up with enough of it but i i feel like um when you can just go into a dripstone cave and just mine it if that's what you want then then i think that that's gonna also change how much people are using it at least in a, a widespread fashion yeah no I, I definitely think dripstone is one of the things that it's on the fringe but it's going to be much more accessible you don't have to farm it from stonemasons who may or may not have the dripstone trade in their list of trades once you upgrade them fully like there's the, there's definitely going to be advantages to it and frankly like the example for for this from me comes from copper itself like i have had a much easier time going out and acquiring copper from the environment with fortune than i have farming it and so they are now switching things up a little bit in this update and in upcoming 1.18 to making things more balanced in their accessibility from the world around you when it comes to things like copper um even iron is a bit better balanced than it was from the previous approach of just build an iron farm like i get more iron going caving that i i don't really need to build an iron farm right away especially um and copper is one of those things that 
exemplifies that. You you can you can get a decent amount of it just by going caving with fortune instead of the the time and effort it takes to build a drowned farm. Um, so I do think dripstone is going to be more or less the same thing. Find a decent dripstone cave, mine up a few chests of it, you'll be good for a while. And as somebody who's had to acquire a lot of dripstone recently, then yeah, I can I can see myself looking forward to that. Um, when it comes to other things that I, I liked about this this update, I mean, I, I liked the copper blocks and everything, um, and I also liked the fact that they ended up giving more value to bees again, uh, which which rules. Like, I, I really like there being a use for wax along with candles. Um, you know, being able to uh, use honeycomb for that is is great. Um, and I think stuff like that that was already accessible and just seems like an upgrade to existing mechanics is is always super fun. On the flip side of that, we have Moss, uh, which was, I think, a perfect addition and a perfect example of something that we didn't have before that was a vast improvement. Um, again, we, we mentioned this earlier, very useful to bring like a lush green color and a block that's compatible with plant life to areas with less desirable grass colors. Like, you could put concrete powder down before, but you weren't going to grow tall grass on it, you know? So I think having moss and obviously having that be the gateway to other resources like azalea uh, was a, a really great addition. And in 117, not difficult to find. I mean, it's a reasonable level of challenge, especially if you're, you know, going shipwreck to shipwreck and you still haven't found it yet. But once you have a single block... It can be farmed easily and then can propagate as much as you want to as long as you have the bone meal for it. Um, and so I think Moss has been a really great implementation in 117 in particular and is going to be abundant in 1.18 but is not going to have the priority that something like Dripstone does for going out and finding it in the world. If you find a lush cave instead of a shipwreck, that's super great. If that's your first place finding Moss, you get an example of how it can be used but I do think it was really well implemented in 117 to begin with. I would agree. I think that Moss is a runaway hit for me, and the implementation of it is one of those things. It's a little bit of a challenge. It's exciting when you get it, but once you get it, you can move on quite quickly. Mm -hmm. I also really enjoy the mechanic. We've not seen anything like that in, in a little while. Closest thing to memory is growing a um, a, a two-by-two two spruce tree and having it turn grass into puzzle. Yeah. Uh, and with the way that mass, uh, moss does that with dirt and, and, and stone and stuff, I think is really fun. It, it creates a really interesting mechanic and the ability to do it with bone meal and the fact that moss also gives you enough bone meal to repeat that process. I mean, I, I use the Ilmango design on the, of the farm, but building that farm on the Citadel was one of the most fun things I did in a long time because mm -hmm. it produces a ton of stuff. And there's just something really fun about finishing a farm and having it push out thousands of blocks that you want to use in a very short period of time. Yeah, yeah. It's a very fun thing to do. Uh, and I really quite enjoy the use of it as landscaping where you don't want the dirt side of the block to show. Yeah. And even in cases uh, with me, like I have Optifine running with the connected grass texture, which means that when everything is all grass, the grass runs down the side of the block, not just the tops. And every once in a while that gets broken because you've got a bush or you've got something underneath a, a grass block that is not grass and it doesn't connect. With the moss block, you can cover that up by just replacing that top grass block with moss block. And it's so 
it's different enough that it adds texture, but it still works uh, depending on the biome. And I really find that that has made my landscaping feel so much better. And so I'm able to do more. Like I'm able to customize it more. I'm doing big bushes and tall grasses and steep grass hills mm -hmm. too high three high and you can do that if you've got the moss block around to make it look cool and i'm i'm really really enjoying it um also finding things like moss carpet to be you know useful for trimming paths and creating that depth change that the grass path block does but if you don't like the grass path block you don't want to lower the path raise the grass and then you end up with the same effect but then you can put whatever texture you want down the path which is great mm-hmm um, you also get azalea shrubs and stuff, which are pretty cool. Yep. Like, I, I really like having a a plant that is not necessarily a full block, but acts like a full block in terms of, you know, being able to stand on it, place stuff on it, but it's still kind of got that, that shrub vibe to it. And it's it's kind of making me wish that more saplings had a more substantial model to them like this. But in terms of being able to put them down and they're not growing automatically uh they're great for detail use them everywhere in my desert builds and they just create this this really nice dynamic uh, a variety of of flora to the area especially when you combine them with the the leaves which are just like the moss in that they don't have to change color based on biomes and the lush green that they have makes them very very valuable to me I know we're focusing on 117 here, but a bit of a speculation. If they made changes to saplings in the future where if you plant one, you do not get a tree until you bone meal it and then change the model of that sapling to have something a little bit more like an azalea, maybe not a full block, but like creating different models for each of the trees. Is that something that you would welcome? I kind of don't want that in a way because I, I like it being there for one or two things it's I, i'd like the models to change maybe but i do think the natural growth of a lot of these trees is a valuable mechanic i think it's something mm. that players often rely upon especially if you're having trouble getting hold of bone meal and i i think natural growth for trees feels like it should be part of minecraft it's also kind of giving you images of sustainable tree planting in the real world right like you don't right. have to spam real world trees with fertilizer for them to grow naturally you just kind of give them time and space to do their thing so i, th I think it, it makes sense for natural tree growth to still be in the game but i i like the fact that it is optional in the the case of azalea saplings maybe if there were like sampling variants where some did and some didn't but i think that would be a harder mechanic to communicate to newer players and also like where do you draw the line you know like do you just keep the oak trees and the spruce trees the ones that grow and then you make the more special trees like yeah. azalea and um the the future um mangrove trees like are those ones that will grow on their own like i can yeah i guess well those ones have propagules anyway so they're completely different yeah they have a very um, different sapling mechanic in in mm -hmm. mind for those so one of the other things that I really liked uh, are the azalea bushes, like the leaf blocks from azalea trees. And I'm trying not to use it everywhere because it's like the new shiny, but the green just goes so well with everything else that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Mossy cobble, like all that kind of stuff. Other blocks have been okay, but it's like, yes, it works, but it, you didn't realize just how off it was until you see it next to azalea. Um, I'm also really liking the combination of azalea and jungle leaves. And I use the jungle leaves kind of like under the azalea as like a darker shadow and it it's given me a reason to go for jungle trees because i don't use jungle wood an awful lot because i find it hard to work with so going for jungle leaves and azalea leaves has been great uh i really uh i'm really hoping that the new um trees that they add and and stuff like that will be part of like 
that kind of an update where like it's going to mesh with a lot of different things yeah i'm to flip and say like one of the most frustrating things i think about azalea trees is that it's not a new wood type i think the fact that it's just oak was one of my more disappointing notes of 117 yeah see this was a surprise for me because i found azalea surprisingly good as a source of oak wood to the point where i've stopped using oak trees a lot of the time Mm. um since you get nice leaves out of it it's always kind of I, I think it's it's more fun getting azalea leaves and getting hold of those, although that may be coloured by the fact that I lived in a desert for the majority of this update. Um, <laughs> I I also honestly think that the fact that they're more consistent than oak is a valuable thing. It doesn't give you surprise giant oak tree that you then have to make yeah. sure you get all the logs out of. They're more consistent, and so that means there are no surprises when you want to farm a lot of oak wood. Um and yeah, like like you, az- azalea leaves fall into the same category as moss for me. I find them super useful. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised to find that I, I was okay with azaleas giving me oak wood just on account of how available it made oak wood to me. I haven't tried this. If you do azalea saplings in a two by two in the same way that you can just kind of mass farm oak when you want to do just the wood, uh, do they grow that way or do they need space? Oh, they, they can grow them side by side. Yeah, just like mass, yeah, yeah. massive fields of it. And that's also a great way of getting rooted dirt if you want a lot of that. So if, you, if you've been able to, say, fortune a couple of azalea trees and just keep doing that until you get a bunch of the azalea shrubs to bone meal, you just bone meal an area of those and you farm up all the rooted dirt when you're done. And what was initially looking like a quite a difficult block to get hold of because you only get one of it at a time per tree if you decide to switch to azalea to farm oak then you have enough rooted dirt to do whatever you want with and i've been using it for paths mixed in with granite and coarse dirt and i find it makes a really nice path block in that color palette um and it's it's not that hard to obtain if you bulk farm azaleas for oak wood so I guess that's maybe where I'm coming up short because that's one of the blocks I have on my list that I, I don't dislike. I just haven't used it much yet because of the availability being like, oh, there's one or two underneath the, the azalea trees that I've been growing when I need them. Mm-hmm. But our oak farm is uh, manual on the Citadel and it's one of those farms where it's like it's oak trees in two by two um, bits, but then they have these little hanging bits of glass over the top to prevent the giant oak trees. And I haven't done a test to see whether Azalea could run in that in that realm. They probably could. They could probably work in that in that little farm. As long as the glass blocks above the oak is not something that will prevent the azalea from growing at all. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't think it's being a problem. Because a, a regular azalea tree, it's a slightly aw- awkward shape, but it's not massive compared to an oak tree. Yeah, yeah. And and I think the shape of azalea trees has been off-putting for some folks, like the fact that they're sort of windswept over to one side, I think is is one of those things that's going to look a lot better when you're encountering, encountering them naturally in the wild. Um, yes. Because it's going to look like it's a tree that's been there for a while and has grown a certain way. Um, and obviously as a signpost for lush caves, they're going to be quite desirable to find for that. But yeah, I do think that some people don't quite like the this always curves over to one side and when you grow them all next to each other they clearly have a very flat top to them (laughs) that i think a lot of people weren't too keen on but again that might be encouragement from mojang to adjust the shape of your azalea trees yourself and get creative with it has there been anything that surprised you about 117 
A lot of things, really. Um, for a start, I wasn't expecting to use candles all that much, but they proved fairly important to my base's aesthetic. And this was more me searching for things I could do with candles, but I did like being able to use them for, for the stuff I've been using them for on Empires. Um, I think that's another thing that is going to change dramatically in 1.18, given that all four combinations of candles are going to provide some light level and that's going to be useful and much more useful in 118 to put one or two candles down than it was where in 1.17 you'd have to put at least three if you wanted to block any spawns and even then the radius wasn't going to be that good so yeah candles i think are like quite quite a cool one for me and i think I might even end up doing what I've been doing on Empires in Survival Guide and using candles to track the amount of times I've died throughout the series. Seems like kind of a, a fun way of doing that, but you could use it to track any any amount of things. Um, you've ended up using candles a lot for, um, you know, interior decoration now. Are you finding they're growing on you? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly need to remember to use them. Uh, I don't find them super useful for lighting effects because the first two levels are hardly visible. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So you'll end up with three candles to make it worth worth it for a lighting solution. But then I'm not a big fan of how three candles always look on a table. It kind of looks a little bit cluttered. It's like yeah. there's too many. So, I mean, it would be different if it was in a church and you were supposed to be putting like dozens of candles around, then it would kind of make sense. Mm -hmm. But on just like a, a table and a build, I tend to go with two, one or two. Uh, and uh, I do like them. I like the animation. I think it provides some nice little you know, ambiance in a room. Uh, again, the benefit soon being the fact that they are going to throw light levels of like three and five, and that's going to be spawn proofing, which is great. Uh, I I haven't yet, but I keep on meaning to put candles in a fireplace. So like instead of having a campfire burning at full blast, um, putting in six candles, you know, in a in a two by two fireplace or something like that could be kind of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, I haven't I haven't tried that yet. Um, one thing I did notice just weirdly and anecdotally the other day uh, on stream was that candles in the world are smaller than the item when it drops. Oh, so really? when yeah. you when you go to mine a candle and it pops off the off the off the ground, it it grows. It like doubles in size. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, what? It's 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 an odd it's an odd experience. But I mean, the, the difference being like if you if they were the same size, then when you put them down, they'd be monster candles. They'd yeah. be like a half meter tall, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's the same with um, hanging roots, which are a thing that I completely forget exists. Going going into things that I am still not digging, um, I've not used hanging roots barely at all, and it's because a they're a bit of a pain to get because you can't really you can you can probably farm them with like bone meal in one hand and shears in the other hand or something like that. But then I haven't really built a lot of underground earthy kind of builds where hanging roots would make a lot of sense and you only get them from bone mealing rooted dirt and then shearing the the roots as they grow underneath um and and the the sprite for those is huge <laughs> it's like it's like the full size of something like a you know a, a glass pane or something like that it's it's massive so they always look larger as an item than they do in the world which is a little bit bizarre but um how about you D did hanging roots exist for you have you managed to find a way to uh, work them in I forgot they were a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure it's going to be something more common in lush caves and, and seeing azaleas in the wild and having more dirt or sorry, more rooted dirt and more hanging roots in live situations like in the natural world in Minecraft. Um, 
I, I haven't, I also confess I haven't been really doing any underground building. So like I don't, I haven't needed them for yeah. anything. Um, and, and so I'm sure that'll change eventually, but for now it, I forget they were a thing. Yeah. Um, I also, I, I used, but forgot that tinted glass was a thing in the game too. Yeah. Um, because it only really comes up when you're doing technical stuff. Like I, I've not thought to use it in anything. Now I think that might be different if I was like still building in the modern city or when I switched to build in the modern city, having another kind of glass to mess with is probably going to be a good thing. Um, but uh, I only used it in my mob farm, my, my copper, zombie geode thing that i made midsummer that's where mm -hmm. i used it was around the spawners so you could see into it very very useful but like again there's i feel i feel conflicted sometimes when we'll often complain about not having enough blocks to build with or not having enough in minecraft and then a few weeks later i'm talking on the podcasting uh completely forgetting that a block even exists in the game yeah <laughs> you know? yeah it's like you don't have uh, you don't have not enough joel if you can't remember half the stuff that's in the game <laughs> yeah i i ended up using tinted glass for the roof of my river biome drowned farm on empires and that was kind of the same thing where like yeah i'm only using it for a technical thing in the first place and i think it may also come down to the fact that it doesn't have glass panes so you can only use it as a full block so it's slightly less versatile than the other glass anyway even though it's technically kind of fun um and yeah i i found that i didn't use it very much because i didn't really go for amethyst very much and that's something that you need to bear in mind if you want to work with one thing then you have to have an amethyst geode and be farming shards on a regular basis it was a key part of other people's aesthetics on empires and i therefore didn't spend a lot of time with it didn't really fit with the color palette for my base or, or anything so i didn't spend much time with amethyst at all i will definitely be spending more time with it in 1.18 not least because caving and you know expanding caves and decorating them is going to be one of the early activities that we we end up doing so that's going to be a a big deal for me and tinted glass will probably happen because there isn't much else you can do with amethyst shards beyond just make more blocks and the occasional spyglass, right? It doesn't get used for much else at this point. Yeah, I would like to see more uses for that in, in the future. Uh, I'm the same way with amethyst. Love the block. Uh, calcite, also very cool. Can't get a lot of it right now. Uh, amethyst is just a matter of like, I'm not making anything shiny and purple right now. So mm. like it, you know, I will eventually hopefully find a, a place for it. I mean, for me, like right now with the medieval zone and the fantasy world, I'm thinking, you know, like if I made like an elvish castle with like white walls and purple roofs or something like that, then the amethyst would maybe come into play. Something, it has more of like an ethereal feel about it. Um, that or if I was, you know, redoing or building a new enderman farm in the end and there was a lot of purple and magenta glass and stuff going around i could see the amethyst block being something that i might um pick up i also really like the idea of putting it under things like um putting it under carpet and whatnot because it has a really cool sound when you walk on it and when you mine it yeah yeah um, i i feel like using blocks um for their audio qualities is something that i'm looking at exploring in the future as well uh again because it has that kind of magical feel to it yeah, um, I th I think one of I, the one of the unsung additional features that doesn't show up in a list of blocks and mobs and stuff that was added into the game was the additions to audio stuff. Like there have been a bunch of 
new sound effects and things that have been added for different blocks and the newer blocks that have been added have some really great sounds it's not quite at the level of like new ambient soundscapes that we got in the nether update but i do think they are making progress towards a more modern sounding game where not everything uses the stone or the grass sound effects when you place a block and uh, yeah, I want to I give a quick yeah, wave to the sound team for all of the work that they've been doing in recent updates, because it, it definitely makes the game feel a lot more immersive. Music too. I mean, I'm looking forward to exploring in 118 and having the music actually on in the game, mm -hmm. you know, when it, when it happens. Yes. What The other stuff that I've really liked uh, and has been a surprise to me have been Deep Slate and Tough. Uh, I, Deep Slate is growing on me. I still don't find it easy to blame with other stones. Uh, but I think it's because other stones are all so similar. Yeah. Like cobblestone and stone brick and andesite. They've got different textures, but they're all very much one specific tone of gray. Whereas deep slate is a lot darker and there's not a lot in between. Um, but uh, I do find that I've been able to use deep slate in a number of different ways, including mixing it in with things like basalt uh, and tough. And um, the end of the natural basalt texture actually works really well with cobbled deep slate as like a replacement for where you would normally put cobblestone mm -hmm. and you don't want that day one minecraft look uh tough is another block that really softens and changes the look of a cobblestone wall and i find keeps me happy with like i know cobblestone is the right block for this choice but like my options are basically cobble and cobble mixed with andesite and i've done that a dozen times and so it's nice to have a couple other blocks to mix in there when you want to mix things up um, yeah. i haven't gone through all the options i know that i mean tough and andesite might look good together like there's a bunch of different things you can try yeah tough and deep slate are two materials i have not spent enough time with because of again the aesthetic of my base being largely sandstone and warmer colors mm -hmm. i didn't get a chance to play around with them much but once again entire underground is made out of deep slate and tough in 118 so yes. uh, plenty of time to get familiar with those two um i think yeah like tough is a surprise like i i quite like tough before it, le it left a good impression on me in, in the 117 snapshot, so I'm surprised I didn't end up using it more. Um, the last kind of stone type we haven't really covered yet is dripstone, which I think is kind of a um, you love it or you hate it kind of thing. Um, mm. and, and for me, it was a sleeper hit. Uh, like, I think the the desert environment turned out to be a really good place for it, having kind of sandblasted rock formations and stuff. Like, dripstone ended up being kind of perfect for that. And I even ended up getting into the mechanical side of it, reproducing, you know, lava and water with it and that kind of thing. So having explored that in a little bit more depth, I, I found it worthwhile. And it is a bit of a pain to get in 117 and i think that's the only real downside is you don't find much of it in caves you have to farm a fair amount of the blocks from masons if you want to build with it to any great degree it's going to be one of those things that accessibility improves in 1.18 but i think also it deserves the environment that 1.18 is going to give it it's the kind of thing that will look a lot better in its natural environment than just trying to incorporate it into your existing build style will like it's it's kind of difficult to figure out can i use dripstone to build a house <laughs> and a lot of the time it doesn't quite work out that way um i don't know how you felt about dripstone but it doesn't really match the aesthetic of what you're building right now so have you have you struggled to find uses for it i tried building a dripstone roof uh and uh didn't really find it that easy to to do i believe i was able to work it into um one of my like an apothecary build like dripstone and granite i think yeah 
worked out really well. Um, but again, it's sparing. It's like it's mostly granite with a little bit of dripstone worked in. And I think after hearing you speak about it just now, it's probably, again, me building in a green and gray and brown medieval city, whereas you're building in a desert that has a lot more beige going on. Yeah, there's a lot more warm and, colors, especially yeah. in the paths that I ended up making. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of the aesthetic of that whole area now. And so Deep Slate, I think, probably going better with jungle wood and like the sandstones and things like that is probably where where that's at. Uh, definitely the availability is what also, because um, it took me forever to farm <laughs> enough Deep Slate mm -hmm. with like a, I think it was like a 14 by 2 Deep Slate farm that was just manual that I would just like every once a stream, I would walk over and hack some off and eventually had enough to make a roof out of the stuff. Uh, I, I did eventually find a cave and I think I mined some that way too, but uh the accessibility of it is going to be a, a big thing for me in 118. And I think that's probably where it was hamstrung in 117 for me. But uh, yeah, no, I didn't find it the the best thing to work with. And I feel like sometimes those blocks could be made to bridge the gaps a little bit better. Like, yes, it works well in a desert environment. But I think that if it just had maybe a little bit less pink in it or something like that and went more to the brown or, or the beiges, uh, then I, it might work well with a few other things because... Or even if you had more reds and oranges in it, it could work well with terracotta. Um, but I, I did find it very frustrating to to build with. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more technical stuff. Like I'd like to have a lava farm for like, you know, fueling super smelters and things like that. I think that would be uh, a fun technical project to add to, to the Citadel because I'm starting to have that itch. Like I'm starting to feel like if I can finish this half of the town, my next break is going to be to go do something useful for everyone, you know, or at least for myself. We're like, well, okay, if people want to build with uh, Deep Slate or if they want to build with um, or use lava in their builds for whatever reason, uh, then at least we can have some sort of automation and use that kind of function to it. Um, I, I also didn't mess much with things like powdered snow uh, or drip leaf. And yeah. I'm, th I'm throwing those back out there with like the the frustrations of availability i yes. think yeah um, no. i i entirely agree uh not to be a broken record but i still think the wandering trader is a terrible choice for distributing anything new 100 <laughs> percent. i'm waiting for cosmic to just wave her flag of surrender because cosmic uh moderator in our chat member of my community it's become a running gag that drip leaf will be available in 118 before cosmic has been able to naturally uh, obtain it in 117 yeah the wandering trader has a week that's a there's a deadline <laughs> at this point um and yeah like i get that also things being scarce now gives us something to look forward to in 1.18 when really no blocks are being added or a lot of blocks are being added but it's physically present in the world as opposed to you know new additions that we've never seen before in game um but yeah, I was really hoping to have more small drip leaf for like aesthetic builds, you know, building kind of like little marshlands or something like that out of them. And it's, it's just not happened. Um, I got maybe I have 15 drip leaf, I think, total on Empires. And it took so long for any of us to get hold of it. It became a very valuable commodity uh, once it was, you know, traded to, to somebody and... Um, I think it's one of those things where, yes, if you want big drip leaf, you can then multiply it by bone mealing it. But if you want the small drip leaf for aesthetic purposes, it doesn't have any functionality, but you just can't reproduce it. And it's still not going to be reproducible. It's just going to be more abundant in 118. So 
you know, if you in theory want to build like an enchanted forest with lots of little drip leaf plants everywhere, then you can go and raid a lush cave for that, right? So that's going to be a little bit easier. But that, and I agree totally, powdered snow, I didn't see it at all. Um, living in a desert for a start, but also with the weather cycle being turned off for the most part on empires, I didn't see powdered snow at all in this update. And I didn't spend enough time playing around in my hardcore world to start a powder snow farm anywhere. The fact that it's going to be out there generating in the world and you can scoop it up in a bucket is going to be a lot more of an incentive to look into powder snow mechanics at all than it was for me in the first place. As a second thought, I put a couple of cauldrons on top of a mountain while I was doing the moss farm. Mm-hmm. And I think in the in the six to eight weeks I was working on that moss farm, I didn't really get a full cauldron <laughs> of of snow because again the weather cycle people sleeping and that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Uh yeah, like it just it's and and even then like I just I'm not super excited to use it. It doesn't look all that different from snow. I I can see myself using it in a mo- on a mob farm maybe somehow, but I mean and this and this is coming from like the you know the existing server that has all the things we already need. You know like I don't need a mob farm, so I think that powdered snow is probably going to be more useful for people that are starting a brand new world and having a, a block that's going to be able to kill mobs automatically and yeah. have that kind of function to it. It's going to be better for folks that are starting off new and need to kind of like reintroduce the infrastructure into the world, that kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. No, I, th- I think it's one of those things that will be fun to have as an option once it's more available and is probably better on multiplayer servers where you can make traps for it or do mini game mechanics or something. Mini games, yeah. yeah, for, for a, a largely kind of single player survival experience you're not going to use powdered snow for a whole lot unless it becomes immediately obvious that it's worth using it is technically a block that can be placed by a dispenser i think that's one of the other unique things about it but even that is so like it's 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 only usable in like a fringe sense Mm. um the other things i wanted to briefly touch on from my list of relative frustrations is that goats are fun for the achievements and then i never did anything with them ever again um which is a shame because i think they're a well-designed mob in terms of what the art team has done with them in terms of their behavior the jumping around the ramming all of that makes sense it's just i don't know why i would want it around um other than yeah goats have a certain amount of character to them and maybe you can do stuff with the goats that ram more frequently the screaming ones and then eventually the goat horn might end up coming along and bringing them a bit more value. But we know that we're not getting that until after 1.19. So ultimately, I feel like goats are, if not a missed opportunity, then they are largely speaking ignorable, which is a shame in an update that has provided a lot of features that I don't want to ignore because I like them a lot. Um, I would almost say the same about axolotls, tragically. They're fun. Mm. They're colorful. You can find them relatively easily. You have to do a lot of breeding to get the blue one if you're the kind of person who shiny hunts Pokemon and that kind of thing. Uh, I still haven't messed with axolotls very much, and it's for the same reason that we were discussing earlier about pets. I just find them, largely speaking, a bit inconvenient to look after. They don't take care of themselves all that well in situations where there are hostile mobs around, and, you know, a lot of the time in cases where there aren't hostile mobs around, you don't really need them for much and they just look good swimming around. They're they're very well designed, but I don't find much use of them in terms of gameplay and what they would add to being in the environment around me. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I could think of in a build would be like, you know, putting an aquarium in my modern city and having a bunch of axolotls swimming around in it. 
And, yeah. You know, and but I can't put fish in there. <laughs> because, yes. Because they'll end up having no more fish. Uh, and with goats, like, do we know if goats will like jump over fences and stuff? Like, so if even my plan was with goats to maybe grab a couple eventually and decorate a farm or two with them. But if they're just going to jump around without me having to leash them to a fence post and hope that leash doesn't come off at any point, then like, again, I have your same frustration. Like they're cool and I like them. They look good. But if you can't do something with them, like tame them and allow them to be domesticated, uh, then, and have them not be, you know, such, uh, either a nuisance or a flight risk all the time, then I'm not going to bother to put them in the farms, which is too bad because they would look cool. Yeah, the goat farms I've seen recently when people have been trying to breed a large amounts of goats have all had a block two blocks above the farm to stop them jumping. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like they will jump over fences. They are difficult to contain. Um, But overall, like judging 1.17 as a whole here, I think it's been a really good update and surprising considering that Obviously, this came on the back of having to split it off from the terrain generation stuff. I think it's been able to hold its own. It's managed to be a good stopgap and even have a lot of its own value to bring to the game before 1.18 came along and changed the terrain and gave us the complete Caves and Cliffs updates. So overall, I'd say I've I've really enjoyed my time in 1.17 and I'm looking forward to a lot of this stuff getting a bit more value once Caves and Cliffs Part 2 releases. How about you? Yeah, I would say the same. And I think 117 has maybe benefited the patient player more than the other. Because if you found that you've really enjoyed things like Tough and Deep Slate and you want a lot more of it and you found it useful but maybe a little frustrating that you can't get it right now, then you know with the new update it's going to be a lot more plentiful. And I think that that will add the excitement and value to it. Like having this trickle effect of like, here's some of the new blocks. Yes, calcite's only around geodes, but don't worry, you're going to get veins of it in mountains in the new update. I feel like that kind of builds a little bit more of anticipation. It's going to be, uh, it's like getting a taste, you know, it's it's not holding the whole thing back. And I I think as a way to split up an update that was not the original plan, I think it was very smart. And I, and I think that it, it worked well for hopefully the Mojang team being able to um, catch up and have a better work-life balance uh, on such a big undertaking, but then also allow that uh, that trickle effect for the players to not be waiting for you know a year plus for all of these things. And uh, next week, or shortly after next week's podcast, the wait will be over. So it's probably about time to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff we talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? There is no better time than now to visit patreon.com slash thespawnchunks and join our community. Pledging at any level there gets you an invite to our patrons only discord chat it gets us closer to our next milestone goal of having a monthly minecraft audio hangout with our listeners we're currently at 315 patrons which is up three from last week so we're very very close to hitting that goal why not sign up now and then you can get the render distance along with all of our thoughts on 118 as they start to roll out over the next couple of weeks special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons who help make the show happen b ramsey 718 hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode. 
Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spun Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. It's free. Just tell a friend about The Spun Chunks and where they can go to listen. That includes iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Really, wherever you can find a podcast, you can find The Spun Chunks. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com and find the RSS feed linked on the spawnchunks.com. The Patreon-only RSS feed, that's where you can listen to the render distance, is on the Patreon page. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixorifs. Stay tuned on November 30th for the return of the Minecraft Survival Guide for Season 2. I stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for my YouTube videos and also dabble in other game modes from time to time. And I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am doing online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to my other podcast, The Citadel Cafe, about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment at thecitadelcafe.com. We turned 10 this week and celebrated by talking about Shang-Chi, The Legend of the Ten Rings. Fittingly, that was with myself, Alistair, and my good friend Lou. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and, of course, Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I'm currently playing Satisfactory, Minecraft, and hoping to spread my wings in the coming holidays. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and it's only a week till Cliffsmas.